So I'm here with Adrian Northover. Adrian plays soprano, sopranino and alto saxophones and is based in London. He can currently be heard on the London club scene with a wide range of musicians, including the London Improvisers Orchestra, as well as doing solo saxophone performances. But hi, Adrian. Hello. Hi. <laughs> hi. So it also says you've done some recent gigs playing with Tri- Triptych. Yes. And um, various good gigs at the Horse Improv Club. Indeed. As well as playing with Jazz Tali, which is with Harvey Sahota. I don't know if I'm saying these yes, names. Yes, that's correct. Stamu. That's correct. And um, you're also interested in North Indian classical music. Yes. And works with Hanif Khan and Mehboob Nadim. Yes. I'll just tell you the reason that I'm doing these interviews is um, I'm just interested in how musicians that I've met especially at the Horse Improv Club, how they started playing and how collaborations came about, how they got interested in experimental and improvised music. And so I know that you've played with a lot of different people in the scene. I've got lists of people, um, not just the people we've talked about, um, but also names like John Edwards, Steve Noble, um, John Russell. But... I'm interested how you first started playing. Right. Music or instrument, how did you start? Well, I started playing music. Uh, I really started playing music, playing the guitar, okay. which was the instrument of sort of the time, really, uh, in the 70s. Although I've very, I had some very, a few violin lessons at school which didn't really last very long. But um, I didn't really have any musical, particular musical knowledge or training as such. And so I started playing the guitar, but just very very much from a self-taught kind of rock band, uh, rock band perspective of things, you know. So that was the first, yeah, really playing with violin was just a school thing. It was a school thing that I did a few, I can't remember how many lessons I did. So you were playing rock stuff on guitar? Yes, that's right. I used to play, yeah, rock of the, the rock of the time, whatever it was, you know, Steely Dan or something like that. You know, those bands of that period, or really what my friends were into. Probably yeah. I just was trying to jam along with them, Bob Dylan or something like that. Okay. Those kind, of, yeah, Bob Dylan. That's it. I remember yeah. learning some songs or John Lennon, those kind of people. Yeah, yeah. Or they, you know, you could learn all their tunes on guitar. It wasn't that difficult. Yeah. So um, that's what I did really. And so when did when did saxophone come along? That was quite a lot later, really, oh, okay. because I uh, I carried on playing the guitar for quite a few years, off and on, and switched to electric guitar and started playing in rock bands. Was this in London? This or? was in London okay. then, like the early eighties. I'm talking about now, I think. Yeah, and uh, so I played with various rock bands that were kind of. Yeah, left field or post-punk, I think that was called. New Wave, maybe it was called. That kind of thing. Which was um, in relation to what you mentioned, like experimental music. I suppose there was an ethos of that music that wasn't wasn't experimental music or it it wasn't commercial, let's say. You know, New Wave or something. Obviously became commercial or could be commercial, but at the time it was you know, outside of the mainstream, as it were. Right. So it was like more live gigs or recordings or both? Yeah, bits and pieces yeah. of live gigs, you know, rock band scene. Yeah. Um, now, my first experience of the, the music scene, though, now we're talking about that, which wasn't really to do with me playing, but was what kind of got me into the scene was, how old was I then? Maybe 15, 16. I did some roadieing. Okay. For a rock, for a band. The Alligators, I think they were called, or something Alligators. Who, who the, is that? They were like country rock, you know, okay. it was a big country rock thing. <laughs> At the time, everyone was playing country rock, like in the early days, the Eagles or something oh. like that, maybe that was... So anyway, that was really the uh, my first taste of the music scene, of that aspect of the music scene, where you're a roadie, you have a van, you know. They had a proper roadie, but I was just like hanging around them, really, helping out. So that was like a taste of the... Um, you know that, of that life of, of that life of yeah. that kind of life the the rock uh, so that in in a way that was as kind of significant in a way as as playing because that gave me a taste of what people were doing and mm. you know watching them up on stage and whatever you know you know oh. but um anyway so then jumping back forward to the early 
eighties when I was doing rock band stuff. Yeah, I carried on playing uh, the guitar in various bands, but really kind of found it quite frustrating, really, probably because of my own uh, lack of musical progress. Or I kind of, after a few years of doing it, I didn't really feel like I was getting anywhere. Right. Um, because I didn't have any musical knowledge as such. You, you know, I was self-taught. But um, I had what I had, but I was finding a lot of frustrations. Anyway, then someone who was in a rock band with left a saxophone at my house, which I, which I picked up. And when was that? Do you remember? Well, that would have been in the early 80s. Okay. As much as um, maybe, yeah, that was, yeah, you know, maybe 82 or 83 or something like a that. A found saxophone? Yeah. Yeah, so he, he left it He left it in my house for some reason. Okay. He, he was playing the sax in this band and he left it at my place. So I picked it up and started mucking around with it. So um, that was how I started playing the saxophone. Yeah. Oh. And, um, yeah, so, so, but that led me, so that kind of led me onto a whole bunch of other things. Because at the time, I think the popular music or the music I was listening to was like a kind of white funk. I don't know if that's the right word for it. It was a kind of, a, a lot of these bands that were new wave bands were kind of playing this kind of slightly distorted funk, funk. Okay had kind of come into the sort of yeah. consciousness and it was like uh, in a bit like in the era of Throbbing Gristle but that's those other bands from the northern towns they did this kind of Cabaret Voltaire and it was a kind of funky stuff right. but but not really funky but no, not, 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 not like Bootsy American Collins no, but no, okay. it had its roots in that yeah. uh, obviously they'd listened to that stuff with the, with the grooves so you were playing anyway. that on saxophone so well that kind of led me on to listening to mm. music that was, that was related to that so then I started to get into disco and a lot of the other music that was going like around like 12 inches. Everyone was just doing these 12 inch uh, releases, you know, club, yeah. club for clubs. And I was going to clubs at that point and started doing that stuff. You know, the, okay. club, the clubbing scene was just opening up in London, really. Okay. Um, early 80s. Well, it was opening up to me anyway. And so I started to listen to a lot more disco and, the, and then you're hearing the sax breaks on that, you know, like um, fusion which was which were great. The great bit for me was the great bit of the record, you know, when the sax break came. Yeah. Well, they those sax solos they had on those twelve inches. <laughs> Who like what? You know. what well, sax I can't think of any. But, well, no, I remember just, like Ronnie Laws, people yeah. like that. Okay, those kind yeah. of fusiony guys. But at the time, I mean, I didn't probably know the names of them. I just remember some of the records, yeah. and you know, thinking, oh, it's really exciting. That sax sounds great, you know. So that kind of inspired me to work on the sax a bit, and then through that. I started to want to listen to more saxophones, so I started to listen to jazz. Right. That's kind of okay, how I got to jazz, jazz yeah. really, from from here, from just that way. So what was the first thing that you played? Uh, like, what kind of band did you play saxophone with? Or? Well, there was just people, friends I had around. Just playing. Really playing, not really in bands initially, yeah. just kind of jamming a bit with people yeah. I knew. And, um, yeah, and that was before the period when I started to, to kind of go to workshops and stuff to learn, right. you know. Th- then around that period, I started to do learn like music, as in reading music yeah. and you know music theory, and and then I started to attend workshops a bit or jazz workshops that people okay. ran. I started to listen. Really, I got into jazz. I started to listen to a lot of jazz and got interested in how it might be possible to play that kind of music. Right. So that um. Which of of which there was, although not as much as there is now, but there was a certain amount of literature, or I say, workshops that you could attend. Oh, were the workshops in London? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mostly in London. Oh, what um, kind of places? Or well, places like Morley, Goldsmiths, City Lit, um, people. Eddie Harvey used to run a workshop at. Uh, yeah, that would have been then the City Lit. There's people who come out of the dance band uh, right. scene, or the fifties scene in in England. You know, Kathy yeah. Stobart. Okay. I went to some of her workshop classes that she ran. Sorry, what were you? No, no, say? I was going to say yeah. there's because when I'm talking to different people, within this podcast, um, that the connections that if there's people who went to this same right. workshops or different well, things at different yeah, times, yeah. so it's interesting to well, find out. Yeah, the people also slightly. Onwards from this, it's still on the workshop theme. I also went to um, Philip Vaxman's workshop, which was more a free improvised workshop. Oh, but that okay. might have been, was that the same period? It's probably a few years later. Uh, and where was that? That was in West Square. It's near here, you know. Okay. Um, 
uh, part of Morley. It was linked yeah. to Morley. He used to do a Saturday morning workshop, which was very interesting. So that kind of led me into a certain area. That was actually, that might have been a little bit down the road because before that, once I could play the saxophone, my friend who used to play the guitar, who'd also started playing trumpet, had got into this big band, which he's, they were looking for saxophone players. So I went along to this big band, right. which was the band where I met Sue, actually, Happy End Big oh, Band. Oh, right, okay. So then... That's um, Sue Lynch, yeah, just to... Oh, yeah, thanks. Yes. And, um, <laughs> and uh, that band involved reading music, you know, which I couldn't really do at the time. Right. So um, that was kind of a learning curve. Um, it was, so I was really just kind of copying other people. Right. Um, which was fine until they left. Someone left. And I, really, <laughs> I, I really didn't know what I was doing at all. <laughs> I actually had to learn yeah. to read the stuff, you know. So anyway. so um, Was the happy end um, experimental? Though? Not at all. No. Well, I mean, it was in a sense in that it was a bunch of people who couldn't really play very well. So it sounded experimental, but I don't think it was... Tradition. It wasn't experimental in, in, in the music we were playing. wasn't okay. couldn't, wasn't wouldn't be termed experimental. You know, it was Kurt Vile or, or that sort right. of music. You know. So um, the scene in London at that time was when you started getting into more experimental or improvised music. What what kind of places did? Well, the improvised music thing. I mean, in a in a way, I'd always done improvised music beforehand because even when I was before when I started when I was doing the guitar I used to have like an old tape recorder and you know you'd make tape loops around right around the room and that kind of thing so I'd always kind of done that sort of thing without really thinking of it in any other way you know just like sort of sound collages because I'd had an old reel-to-reel you know that I used to play around with off and on in very random different ways so these are recordings you're making yeah, 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 I had, I had made. Yeah, have you, you know. still got them? And I wouldn't have thought so. <laughs> oh, um, okay. But so, so those was the kind of things I'd always done yeah. without really thinking about a name for it or what it was. But then around this same period we were talking, which is uh, around the time I started playing sax, eighty four, five, six, that that kind of period, um, I started to go to. I lived in Brixton at the time. And there was a pub, the Old White Horse, which is now the Jam. You know the Jam. Mm. It used to be the Old White Horse. Uh, anyway, they started to have improvised music on, like a club on there, and it was just around the corner from my house. So right. I kind of, it was really easy to go to, and it was very cheap. Which was my, I suppose, one of my first um, exposures to that scene. You know. And what what kind of people were? Well, all sorts playing. of people played there. I particularly remember going to see Mervyn Africa playing there, who was quite interesting what he was doing then, but. Um, also, concurrently, I was really near the Plough in Stockwell, which is where John Stevens used to play all right. the time. With yeah. um, there was Pete New used to play. Paul Rogers used to be there always. You know, fiery players. Yeah, they're really cooking. And John Stevens has yeah been mentioned a few times. Okay, yeah, so yeah. he was he was so they would do it. They that was the the, the the club scene that I knew around that point in terms of that music. Maybe this is the mid eighties, but also John Stevens used to run workshops. Now I'm reminded of him, um, which I went to a number of them. You know, yeah, because there was a lot of there was funded workshops. It wasn't I didn't have had any money then, but um, you could get things very very cheaply, like five quid or something. You know, for a two day work. You know, it was it yeah, was all funded. Was if you were on the dole, that yeah, was it. Exactly. You could you could you could get it really cheap. So it, it was very affordable. So I used to do those things. It was an I, opportunity. It, yeah, it was. You, there was a lot of things like that, that you could do. Yeah. And and the um, even going to Morley, it was really quite cheap to pay for a term. You know, ten quid or something if yeah. you had a dole card. Those kind of things. So I did. I took the opportunity to do a lot of those different things. So I didn't complete them all, but I did a lot of bits of them. Yeah. So I picked up a lot of bits of stuff all along the way from different people, like that. And obviously. Um, as well as picking up the jazz stuff, you know, like the John Stevens stuff was um, yeah. was was an input as well, and all that stuff was just an input, really, I suppose. Um, so, what was one of your first um, collaborations? Do you remember playing sax? Well, no, I, I can. What I can, well, really, the first kind of group playing I did was when I joined this band, The Happy End, right. where I was playing with other horn players and with other people, with, yeah. with other musicians, in a in a kind of formal sense. That was. Yeah, yeah. And, and and there was offshoot things of that because of other people would get together, which I did little things. But this band was also doing a lot of gigs suddenly, mm. so suddenly I was really quite busy doing these gigs with this band, 
um, yeah, so that was quite um, that took up, took up quite a lot of space at that time. Um, it became quite a focus without really thinking about it, right. um, just because it was at, it was busy. You know, two or three gigs a week, most weeks at one right. point. So That's we were, right. uh, around London, or yeah, really mainly around London. We did other stuff as well, but, yeah. but mainly around London. So I was quite kind of musically, that's what I got into doing yeah. like by 85, 86, 87. I was doing a lot of that. But also because we were playing, I was seeing other groups. We were on with other groups, often yeah. obviously not on our own. So you could see a lot, you know, I got a lot of um, awareness of what other people were doing as well, right. you know. So when did you start um, with like the improvisers orchestra was that a long time that was quite a lot later right okay that wasn't until 2000 i think or 1999 i i I started going to that so that was like quite a lot later so let's go back so that there's a lot there's a a time in between we need to go back okay yeah i've got it so (laughs) after doing the happy end for a bit i joined this band called b shops for the poor that's it yeah yeah. I have got that. Bishops yeah. for, for the Poor. That came before the remote viewers. It did. Right. That's right. Okay. Yes, yes. And that was like, yeah, late 80s or something. Also, concurrently, I was doing, I did a th- three year film photography course at St. Martin's. Right. So, in f- kind of in like a fine art film, really. Okay. Of which I was really using music for film. That was my, um, you know, the. Um, aspect of it that yeah. I was doing fil- film and sound really okay. so um which which as you know it, yeah. it, 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 it there's a lot of f- open or experimental music you can put in film and get away with it because you know you know what I mean yes it doesn't you don't have to have so a, you're sort of source, a song yeah, do you, you you're know? sourcing kind so, of. yeah you're sourcing sound really so mm. um yeah so that was also a, a thing that obviously I was thinking about because I was making films and doing the soundtrack myself to these films. And then I was scoring, making films that were f- scores for musicians to play along to. That was, a, but, but big, but films, not um, like 16 mil tri- triple screen films. Right. So so it's epic, you know, quite an epic yeah. thing. You uh, It needs to be shown, and it's just such a hassle doing it. Yeah. But you need <laughs> to see it at the cinema with three 16 mil projectors and it's big, you know. Yeah. And then having musicians on stage playing along to it. You so know. like live soundtracks? Yeah, oh, totally. Or, no, live soundtracks, yeah. And they were improvised or...? Well, yeah, but the improvised. film's the score, really. Yeah, of course. I mean, I did it on a couple of films. Yeah, but yeah. That, that was the kind of thing I was interested in, in that area of, of linking a visual with music, Okay. really. Um, I've gone off the track a bit. No, mind, not at all, really. We're just we were. going along the trajectory oh, of yeah. your... Oh, yeah. So at the same time, yeah. that was it, I cooked up with this band, B-Shops, who just started to tour, who'd done a few albums... And who were they? Well, they were um, a bunch of people from South London, well, one of whom was John Edwards, in fact. Ah, that was it. That linkage. was how I met John. Okay. Um, and they were interesting because they were... Uh, yeah, they were riding a particular 80s kind of no-wave uh, tag. You know, I mean, they would, so they were doing this um, heavy horn riffs quite convoluted dissonant horn riffs on a drum machine which n- now doesn't sound very interesting and in fact at the point at the time people thought why are they doing it on a drum machine but th- it was it was quite interesting because mm. it was you really didn't have a drum machine in jazz or in improv at the time it wasn't a thing no I, it, it was yeah. a thing you had in disco yes. or something. you know it was kind of from another genre so yeah. it was quite interesting to have this relentless uh, drum, you know, moronic drum machine thing, and whilst having these very dissonant avant-garde sounding riffs on it, while John played bass and there was a guitar player. As who was playing uh, electric bass? Uh, no, John was okay. playing acoustic bass. Yeah, okay. Well, but heavily mic'd up. It was a loud band. It was a kind of noise. Okay, it's because when you just mimed them. Yeah. So no, there like was a, no, there was a guitar no, player you as didn't well. Go like... <laughs> <laughs> no, because there's a guitar player who's going. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So it. So he was playing double bass. Yeah, John was right. playing double bass, and John Doby was playing electric guitar. Um, and it was kind of like they were doing a noise kind of thing against a drum machine with us on top. So and, you, and we had a singer and three sax, three saxes, and three one, saxes. one of whom sang, one of whom was a singer. Oh, okay. So that was the thing. That was a brief description of the, of the kind of music. Um, they were compositions. It was all very composed with solos, but it, it sounded very full on and loud, you know. So we were touring Europe a lot. Anyway, this band was doing lots of tours. So I joined that 
that band and then and then uh, started to hear a lot of other stuff because we were playing around Europe, Germany and Italy and stuff like that. A few times a year over quite over a period of years. Right. And we had we got fest quite some good festival gigs and stuff. So that was interesting, you know, yeah. in terms of hearing other stuff. And and also in terms of people yeah, I mean that opened my ears to sort of other sort of music. I what suppose. kind of things do you remember? Anything particular? Well, I mean, style of when you're saying style of music, what kind of things uh, that maybe yeah. you hadn't heard? Yeah, I mean, not so much improvised music actually, but we were playing in a lot of yeah, just a lot of different places, and people were giving their feedback, and I think more. I know, I know. Now I'm thinking about it, more. It was. We would stay with people, and people who put us on were music fans. We yeah. were staying with them. It was yeah. there wasn't really hotels so much. There was sometimes, but yeah. So they'd have like these massive record collections. You know, they're real music fans. You know, they were booking bands. They're like booking a band from England. Like it's quite exciting. You know. Yeah. So they were like um, really into music. A lot of these people. So they'd play you the music they were into, because right. you, you were staying at their house. You know. Okay. They'd be like, oh, "Have you heard this? Have you heard this?" So I heard a whole bunch of stuff that I didn't know about including stuff from England that I'd never listened to okay. people were like oh this is fantastic it's English improvised music or something you know so was there anything yeah. from that that was a defining thing or it was just more you melted into it just was something you heard that when you came back if there was no I'm jumping back now because I just remember something else in terms of improvised music yeah a, a, a defining thing that I would say was going right back to when I was listening to rock music. Someone gave me this album, which was, it was recorded in, it's like a sort of hippie album. It was recorded at, it was a double album, you know, the four sides of, I can't remember what bands they were. I rock bands at the time. But anyway, one side was de just Derek Bailey. And I hadn't ever heard anything like that. Okay. It was one side of this double album and the rest was kind of, I don't know, it might have been Henry Cow or, I don't know what it was, I can't remember, but I just really remember this Derek okay. Bailey side, that this music, that had a clarity to it that I hadn't really experienced in music before. I think, yeah, now thinking about it, and I'm, it just, and it was completely different to anything else, and I just, I quite liked that. Yeah, and, yeah. And that was, I think that's, that's actually stayed in my mind. That um that experience of of hearing that music and thinking about it now it was very yeah obviously very different but also very um there was a clarity there to it that I quite that struck me and kind of stayed with me so in terms of a defining moment yeah, of my memories of music that yeah. would be something and that was quite early early on in the seventies oh, okay. I think right. uh, possibly um, hmm. so that one might have been an influence even on. You're playing now, like, tracks well, that you've recorded? It, it was an influence then on my guitar playing, actually. Oh, okay. Now I've just remembered. Yeah. Um, because it did affect the way I thought about the guitar. Because I hadn't heard anything like that before. Um, but anyway, jumping mm. back forward to where I was. Yes. Because I was just reminded of that. <laughs> so, um, so anyway, yeah, we just, I just did a lot of bits of touring with this band and was exposed to other sorts of music, obviously, that they were all they were all listening to and the music they were into. At the same time, still living in uh, in London, in Brixton, just listening to whatever music I could yeah. listen to. Really. I mean, I've always listened to all sorts of music, you know, um, not just uh, imp yeah. improvised no, music. No, it sounds it's you interesting know, from you know, what you're saying. Yeah. It's a kind of very broad... Yeah, um, yeah. I, I, haven't, I haven't had a problem with listening, to, you know, to disco then to improvised music. It, it's, it's fine, you know, it's just... Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I know people do, but... Okay. So at this point, we're going to listen to something that oh. you have recorded that's a little bit more recent, I think. Yep. Okay. Um, so this is a track with Daniel Thompson. Okay. Okay. We'll have a little listen and then we'll come back and talk about it. Thank you. 
So we just listened to a track um, with you, Adrian Northover, with Daniel Thompson. Uh, the, the album's called Mill Hill, and the, each track is a different type of grinding process, or okay. uh, as in a mill. It's some kind of milling process. Right. And uh, that's... Um, and I can't remember which the, which particular process that was. Um, they're listed on the album, but yeah. And the album's on available on on Raw Tonk Records, okay, and it's called Mill Hill. It's called Mill Hill because um, that was where we recorded it in Mill Hill. Okay. Um, in my friend's studio, who's built a studio in Mill Hill. So. And how did you come to collaborate with Daniel Thompson, who's a guitarist who's also on the scene in London? Right. Well, uh, um, my friend Ian, who's built the studio. 
and he also knows John Edwards. So me and John were have been speaking about going up there to just yeah. mess around, maybe make some sound and whatever. So I'd set up a date to go up there in, to Mill Hill with John. But um, he couldn't do it when, when it came to it. The week, that week, he had, I can't remember, something had happened anyway, he was busy. Mm. So that night that he told me he couldn't do it, I think it was at the doghouse, actually. Daniel was there. Right. So I asked Daniel. So I was like, I didn't really want to cancel it because I'd set it up with Ian and yeah. whatever. So I just said to Daniel, oh, you know, what you do, you know, do you fancy? Because I hadn't really played with Daniel before. But you'd met him at the horse or somewhere I'd else? I'd met him or I'd seen him around. Cause uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Playing different gigs. Um, but we hadn't played together as a duo. Right. And um, I, I liked his playing anyway. So... Um, I asked him if he was free that week to to come up and just do some playing in the okay. studio. So so that's what so that's how that recording came about. So we went and he was free, he was available. So um we drove up there and we hadn't actually played together before. So it's kind of interesting listening to that record. Yeah. Because since then we've played together quite a bit. So that was the first time. The first time we played together and it's a complete it's a document of us just sitting down in a room playing together mm. for the first time. And and the all the the album is the whole session with no edits. That's it, you know. Right. That's what we did. So it's just a complete... Imp- it really is a piece of improvised music in that sense. Listening to it now, because now we have played together quite a lot, okay, and, and it's different now, you know. Um, it's it's a different thing. But that listening to that is interesting because, um, yeah, that's the first so time. So you're playing Sopranino? Yeah. Hmm. On both, I think. Both, yeah. And alto. Right. I can't quite remember which track was which. Yes. And then we when we listened to it we decided you know, we could we could actually release it. Okay. As, as an album. Which wasn't necessarily the intention when we went in there because we just was Yeah. Tr- trying the playing out and trying the recording, trying the room out really. Right. Um but we both we both liked the results. So right. it was uh, yeah. And are you going to do any more stuff with Daniel or? Oh yeah, yeah. No, I, I, we're doing a tour. I'm doing stuff with him. Oh great! And I'm sure we'll do. A, we, we've got a tour planned, uh, a duo tour, and we've done quite a bit of stuff since then. And you just met him on the scene in London. At, yes, what, a I, few years ago. Or? I, I, yeah, yeah, kind of. Don't since, remember. Since, since he's been around, yeah, I've just yeah. Uh, seen him play with different people, or he's right. seen me play, or whatever. Okay. You know, what I've kind got, of clubs? Well, I think I've been to his his club, Foley Street, the club he runs. Right. And obviously he's been down, played at the horse. That, yeah. That, that would have been where I would have seen him, probably. Okay. Um, yeah. So that's quite a recent... That's a recent thing, like last year. Yeah. It's, it's a, yeah, fair, re- really recent, yeah. Are you still playing with Hard Evidence? Well, with yes. With John Edwards and Steve Noble? In fact, we went back to the same studio that we just oh, right. recorded that. A few weeks ago, and did some recording with me and John and Steve. And that's quite that's yeah. very different kind of. Well, that's, I mean, that's yeah. Obviously, it's got a lot of references to jazz because yeah. it's the music of Thelonious Monk. Of course. So it's quite hard to, um, well, not hard, but you can't kind of ignore. You have to take that on board at some level. Yes. You know that, that's that's initially that band. We've had we had different people in the band. We used to have Pat Thomas right. playing piano in the band. Which was great, actually. Um, but he lives in Oxford, and we've and then yeah. getting a piano at gigs in London is it's always is yeah. a, you know. So we've ended up kind of doing doing it as a trio quite a lot. But I think there's actually a plan to ask Pat back along. Hopefully, um, I think Steve was going to have a word, so maybe we'll do one with 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 Pat. I'm thinking of doing one with Pat again at the um, at the eclectic actually because oh, he's getting okay. a baby grand in there. So. Yes. Which, um, well, the Cafe Eclectic yeah. is begin, yeah. becoming um, yeah. a hub. Do you think there's still a lot of musicians that, who you collaborate with who are South London based, or is that just something yeah. that you're noticing? It, yeah, it's still there's. It's strange how there's there is quite this divide. I mean, myself, I've always, although I lived in Brixton for a lot of years, I've always kind of lived centrally. I lived in mm. Grays Inn for many years, and then. Now I live in Blackfriars, so mm. I've always kind of lived, as I say, in the centre of London. Yeah, really, that's true. What was your question? Well, it was just the fact that that now Cafe Eclectic's in in South London, even though I guess what you're saying is it's kind of it's central. kind of central in a way. Um, yeah, no, I, I it does seem to be that 
Mm. When I've played with people, they have either been in South London mm. or they're in North, you know, yeah. often when I go to play with people in South London, there's a particular, they're all from that area, you know, yeah. or I've done a number of things. I suppose, I mean, they're organising the ex- their own things. Especially experimental and improvised yeah. music. Even Eddie Prevo's workshop is just up the road from here and there's Morley College. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just thinking like the historical thing and now Cafe Eclectic. Right, okay, for this just, area. Yeah, for this area. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Kind of... and, as, and Morley College used to always have from, you know, Phil Vaxman all his electronic music workshop. Right. And uh, him and Ron Briefel, Ron Briefel used to. So, um, and that was an, an experimental thing. And Morley's always had, uh, yeah, experimental stuff going on. All the city letters as well, indeed. But in terms yeah. of yourself, you seem to, you so the jazz... And improvised music runs concurrently by playing things like... Yeah. Yeah, all the time. I mean, um, yeah, I I think partly just because I've spent a lot of time sort of studying jazz or listening to jazz or learning a certain stuff from from jazz. Yeah. You know, I've got one ear in that area. You know, that's kind of, yeah, where I've learned a lot of stuff from. Um, and then there's the other sort of side. I mean, cause when I started doing this stuff, mm-hmm. that was more either it was rock or it was kind of jazz or free jazz, you know, even like the John Stevens thing and that, the stuff I was in, it was free jazz. Right. There wasn't this electronic music that you get, you know, that now is. Electronic music in the 80s at that point was either dance music or classical, you know, electronic in a studio sealed away you know that was yeah it wasn't people didn't have laptops basically that's that was the difference yeah. so when um but going back to the b-shops band when we we was using a drum machine yeah so that's kind of like electronics suddenly we would you know that not suddenly but that was something we were kind of introducing into a kind of free jazz it wasn't free jazz but a jazz kind yeah. of area um so there was that kind of mashup. Um, mm. and gradually people came into experimental music or into improvised music who weren't coming from jazz mm. which was really interesting for me because they were coming maybe they never they didn't like jazz or whatever you know they were coming from somewhere else entirely and they could do it because electronic instruments got a lot smaller or they became laptops or whatever you know, or that kind of thing. Yeah. Like you mentioned Eddie's workshop, yeah. or, you know, which isn't, is, is something else. It's yeah. people coming from, you know, to sound art or whatever. Well, Which yeah. is interesting. For me, that's interesting, that input, you know. And of course, you collaborate with Adam Berman. Well, exactly. I've done so a lot with Adam. In terms he, of electro- well, exactly, yes. yeah, of course. So in terms of electronics yeah. and sound art, yeah. how, did, how did you first meet? Well, so you've got the custodians. Is that... That's me and Adam, Yeah, really. it's you and Adam yeah. Bowman. But when did you first start collaborating with Adam Bowman? That's been going on for years now, yeah. <laughs> Do you remember the first um, meeting? Oh, no. But no. We, we... Well, we, we were both at the orchestra, probably London Rose Orchestra is probably where I... I kind of... Oh, no, actually, was it? I used to go to his... His club in the Bonington often... I played there a lot. And, and this was a club that Adam Bowman was Ad, running? Adam and his brother ran it. Right. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it's just a little room above a kind of cafe, above a cafe. So um, I used to go there a lot. And that's probably how I got to know Adam, I think. Yeah. And was he performing with... He, yeah. Yeah, he was performing sometimes or putting people on. Yeah. And that was actually where I got to see a lot of people who were still around on the oh, scene. Okay. In fact, yeah, I saw lots of people there. Well, doing experimental, yeah, yeah. Um, like like he's like now, you know, like yeah, he's doing now with the, sound the objects, and yeah, all different sorts, yeah. you know, whatever, or speech, spoken word, or you know, all that stuff. Do you remember when you first did a gig with him? With Adam? Mm. Mm. No, I don't remember. No, mm. but we've been um, collaborating for yeah. a lot of years now, um, and done lots of different gigs. Uh, Including including with Triptych, which was was with uh, Ka- Ka- Catherine as yeah. Catherine Poigas, um, so that's been interesting playing with Adam. 
it's it's yeah it's been it's something else because it's not it's dealing with something else you know you know dealing with uh, it's in a way it's quite difficult or, or it was not difficult it was a challenge let's, yeah. let me say that yeah um or it has been a challenge to um you know work with with adam's um area yeah of of things because it's not immediately obvious what you can or cannot do yeah you know, exactly know, it's quite removed from working with a rhythm section or something yeah. you know you know um and i think i think i found it interesting because it's been quite challenging yeah yeah That's and you've done lots of recordings as we've well. done a lot of recordings we've done like six or seven cds okay. yeah maybe seven or eight even i can't we've done a lot of recordings um although we've eased off a bit lately right um Partly because Adam's been busy and I've been doing other stuff, but yeah. well, the gigs I was doing with Adam have taken me into that more sound art world or whatever it's called. I don't know the world that he meeting all those other musicians who do that kind of thing. Yeah, you know, which, which is part uh, of the improvised yeah. music. Yeah, yeah, it's just another aspect of it. You know, that is, yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, and that's part of what you were saying about people who are not necessarily from a background of playing an instrument yes more you see that's playing with yeah, things that and that's yeah. quite interesting i think mm. and and uh yeah there's something about that that i find uh quite refreshing yeah in a way no i know what you mean um and i'm working a lot with tassos stammer right and yeah tassos he's got good ears but he's not a study, you know, not a trained musician mm. as such, and that's kind of interesting because he's got his own ears. You know, and how did you? you we're going to listen to it. Actually, going to listen oh, to yeah, a okay. track. Yeah. But where did you meet Tassos? Tassos. Well, I really kind of met him in the Improvise Orchestra. Although initially I met him because he wanted to borrow a saxophone. <laughs> He'd arrived in London and needed a saxophone. I lent him. Actually, I think it's, I lent him my Sue's saxophone. <laughs> um, but which is kind yeah. of how I initially met him. But okay. then. Then he started playing with the London Rises Orchestra, so I got right. to know him more through that. Okay, well, yeah. let's listen to a track. Okay, yeah. It's available on Linear Obsessional. That's it. Um, label, which Sanderson's. is Richard Sanderson's label. Okay, this is a track with uh, Adrian Northover and Tassos Stamu.
That was Sea of Dreams, which was Adrian Northover and Tassos Stamu um, from their album Mantragora, which is available on Linear Obsessional label. That's a beautiful piece. So you're playing saxophones and he's doing electronics? Yes. Right. And how did that recording come about? We just thought we'd get together and, and uh, do some playing, really. Right. You know, we just... Uh, because I can record, I record at my my place. So yeah. he came over and we set the stuff up. And um, I mean, that's quite processed at that music, which I'm interested in. Yeah. Really, um, it, I quite enjoy doing all that in the mixing or, or yes. pro- processing or cutting things up. Or, yeah. Um, that's interesting because in a way, it's kind of the opposite of the other recording you played, which is just totally as it happened unprocessed right you know you know whereas this we've we've worked on this we've produced this we've produced it yes. and produced the music which which again is something i'm just as interested in as music that isn't produced you, you know yeah. that to me they're both um it's just sound really you know but um, i mean there's sort of aesthetic in both of them if you like isn't there there's a an idea behind you know like the first cd i played was this Part of it was that we just met and we played. Mm. It was a document. It's more of a treated document. Yeah, but I, I you know, I like that, and, I'm, and T- Tessos is quite, you know, keen on that as well. I quite like to sax phone to process it, to, to heavily process it. Yeah. You know, to treat it quite a lot. And when you're playing with someone who's playing electronics, compared to someone who's playing another instrument, yeah. Is, is, and does that? How does that influence your playing, or doesn't it? Really? It influences it really quite lot, quite a lot. I think there's a kind of tonality thing, really, that you're not dealing with so much. Obviously, you are dealing with the tonality, but not so much. Whereas when, like recently, I did the duo. I can't remember if you were with uh, Neil Metcalf, flute mm. player, yeah, flute player and saxophone. I mean, you're really dealing with you know, kind of some sort of t- tonality musical you, do you know what I mean yes, traditional tonality yeah. in a way whereas with um, electronic players or with Adam you're not there is a there is tonality there but it's a different kind of level of dealing with it really and does it affect you does it give you a sense of freedom or both, restriction both both there's freedom a se- and there's restriction a, there's a at the same time <laughs> what, is it, yeah. what does that mean yeah. <laughs> okay it no, means I've got handcuffs on, but, yeah. I can, but I can jump out the window. Yes. <laughs> there is, yeah. No, but so in a way, it's it's in a way it's more difficult. But in another way, it's not more difficult because you can kind of do anything in a way. But it's just a different thing. It's like it's just, between yeah. eating a different kind of food. It you is. Know, it's it's hard whatever. to, to you know. I mean, it's just it's it's different. Because you were saying in your bag that you're interested North Indian classical music. Well, I got interested in North Indian classical music through playing with um, the two guys you mentioned earlier, yeah. Mehboob and Hanif. When I used to play an Indo, what's called Indo Jazz Fusion band for many, quite a few years, called Dar, um, where we were kind of trying to merge uh, kind of jazz with this Indian, you know. Mm, and the, okay. there's an interest in um, that, that both, we're both having improvisation as there, right kind of you know core if you like or being be improvised music which north Indian classical music really essentially is a, a kind of improvised music you know with, with its with its rules and whatever but um in the essence of it is to is to improvise you know so um we i so that that kind of playing with those guys for quite a few years and making this band got me very interested in i, I learned stuff off them you know because they, they're very studied uh, they're classical musicians in, in their where they come from so they're yeah. very studied and they've been playing since they were four or something right so um so that was quite a learning curve for me learning trying to learn stuff off them or just hear hear what they're hearing you know so that was uh that got me very interested in that okay. music and and that stayed with me actually right. and i'm still very interested in listening to that music a lot i mm. like to have something to study yes uh like i liked to study jazz when i was studying jazz because there was a lot you could intellectually studying yeah. it and there is in in this in the north indian classical and the jazz tally with tassos that's a, s- a completely different thing that's more like fun really yeah, yeah. okay <laughs> because yeah. it's well you know i mean there's elements of uh 
Yeah, yeah, but we're doing more Bollywood area right. of stuff. Okay. Well, we, we we move from Bollywood through to through to stuff that's kind of more serious, really, like prayer prayer stuff and uh, like bhajans and sort of quali quali stuff. But that's really in that area. That's I quite like. Uh, I've kind of through that I've got into more like Sufi music, mm, okay. um, which is an interesting music in that. It's a f- kind of got a function. It's 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 got a purpose, which mm-hmm. is to kind of promote a sort of uh, ex- ecstasy, a kind of ecstatic, I- an idea of ecstasy, which in this case is a sort of spiritual ecstasy. But it's it's an it's uh, and that's an interesting thing for me. Music, when music, yeah, kind of has, it's functional. I quite like that about music. When I'm when I'm um, I understand the function of the music, the job the music is meant to be doing. Okay, so how does that work with more experimental, improvised music? Then is that where's that's a good question? Function? Yeah, I, I, I think it might be functionalist, mightn't it? <laughs> <laughs> defunctionalist. Yeah, it's defunctional. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, where does it? I don't know. Well, what it does. I mean, as a know, player, you know, yes. That's a... What well, is a player? It. it, it the function for me is this the music. So in a way, mm. it's different because the function is the playing. It, it, it's not really, well, yeah. The, the function is the interaction with the other musicians. I would say. Yeah. Of well, that's not that's not the right word, isn't it? But that's the kind of purpose of it. Well, kind of, it's collaborative in. Yeah, it's a collaborative uh, thing you're doing, but you happen to be doing it on stage, or, you know, in front yeah. of an audience. Um, which is very different to say the jazz tarly thing or other bands where you're either trying to make an audience dance or you're or like the Sufi thing you're talking about. Yeah, where You've... the purpose is to induce a kind of you know spiritual awareness, you know, state in people. Yeah. Whereas um, improvised music, like or, or the you know background jazz, I do that. Yes. Stuff. Whereas function yeah. is just a filler, mm. create an ambience, you know, jazz ambience or whatever. Or, um. So well, it was improvised music, but it, it does its function is is to there's an audience, isn't there? Its function is to provide some kind of meat or grist for the audience to consume, you know, on some level, and it does it either successfully or unsuccessfully. I.e., people either say that was good or they didn't enjoy it. Yeah, I guess. So, and in terms of of yeah, your experience in London, especially because you've been yeah playing in the scene. Quite a long time. For quite a long time. A long time yeah. In terms of audiences and people who are involved, like how do you think it's changed or evolved? I think it's become more oh, what's the word more acceptable. It's become less weird. Oh, interesting. Unless that's just my perception of it. But when I first started to get into this stuff, it really was quite out on a limb in terms of I mean people would say that's not music you know right. that's just that's just noise you know mm. I mean it w- whereas now people might not like I say people I don't know you know it, it, might, it might not they might necessarily like it but mm. pe- I think the idea of it is accepted as fitting in the category of music Im- mm. improvised music Whereas there was a point when people, you know, really would go, well, you know, what, these people can't play, you know, why are they playing like that? What's wrong with them? You know, I mean, seriously, people would, you know, so it's moved, it was out, really out there. Really, yeah. You know, in terms of public awareness, it was like, well, you know, that is, that's not music, that's noise, you know. Whereas it's moved, it's not so far out there now, you can do anything Mm -hmm. and it's not like, you know, it's not so outrageous. So it's moved my you know my my view of it. I might just be that I'm more involved in it, so I see it in a different way. Mm. But it seems to move more more centre stage. Um, yeah. And for audiences, would you say, and, and actual venues? I mean, now would you say it was different in terms of the audiences who come to see, or in any way, or is it? It doesn't similar? seem to me to be that different. It's always been. Okay small audiences yeah. you know uh i mean there's more i think there's more happening now there's more clubs putting that kind of music on right i think 
Well, I think particularly with the um, with the input of the electronic and laptop players, it kind of opened up the scene to a lot of maybe at the point they were younger people, but just opened up the scene to other people, you know. So kind of people like um, I think you know back left field rock people suddenly mm. became interested in improv or like Radiohead or you know that kind yeah, of area yeah. of things That's suddenly right. pulled in all these other people who previously probably looked upon it as being some kind of weird branch of jazz or you know so mm. but it, which maybe it was but it so it became more and that, I mean that's been my experience of it since since the 80s since I've seen this music it's become more more eclectic I suppose right. in a way more encompassing that you can do any kind of stuff in it the sort of younger generation who are coming into it do you notice anything different about that in terms of the London scene well I can't think of any names particularly but I mean I mean, there's always people coming along doing stuff, you know. Yeah. Uh, and I think London or England established a sort of reputation for a certain kind of improvisation, certain kind of experimental. I mean, my experiences going touring in Europe and touring abroad made me aware of how English... You know, there's this kind of school of improvised music. Yeah. It was quite an English, there was an English style. Yeah. Um, how would you at, describe that? Oh, Could I wouldn't describe, describe it. I really wouldn't. I, I really wouldn't. Okay. <laughs> Possibly there's a sense of irony, okay. maybe, or a dry kind of humour. Uh. Possibly. Well, I don't know. Uh, I, I said I would dodgy territory here, really. I wouldn't like to define it. I'm thinking now of Lowell Coxall, who sort of personifies a certain kind of English improvised music to me. Okay. Um, which is kind of there's a kind of wit, a wit in there, and I was and Steve Beresford, I would say as well. Those people, there's a kind of uh, certain sardonic wit. I might okay. say. Yeah. I wouldn't like to say too much. I mean, to me, a lot of people are very serious. It seems like they're very serious, but well, there's been well. there's been different waves of of seriousness. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas the, the the wave that I'm now talking about, which is kind of with Steve and uh, right. and Lowell, was was not was aware of that. Were were serious musically, but yes, but, but we're also kind of on the game enough to be able to be undercutting. I mean, to me, what's interesting about the um, if you like the experimental music scene or this scene is that it's one of the few music areas where there's no money I mean well maybe not one of the few I mean probably not Mm. but there's not really chance of any money you know there's not you know it's very it's not a money thing because there's not any money in it really do you think it crosses over at any point to the contemporary classical world or is it still yeah. f- too far from that? I mean, venues like King's Place right. and, and stuff like that that are putting on yeah. slightly more experimental... C- classical music has always had the avant-garde, hasn't mm, it? It's always, yeah. I mean, you know, very out very out there stuff before, you know, way back when. You know that's that's amazing. You know, Verres or whatever those, those Stockhouse, what those people are doing, yeah. it's completely out there. You know, in terms of or could be quite difficult to listen to sometimes, um, and very experimental. Um, and to, to someone perhaps who's who hasn't listened to a lot, the, the end result might sound exactly the same mm-hmm. of some people. You know, what Adam's doing or something. As yeah. some, well, well, I suppose the different spaces. It's classical approaches. It's more composed. You know, yeah. there's a composer whose name is linked to the music, and they've composed this piece of music. And there are people who are trained to play it. You know, yeah. you know, and that's they can do it really well. It's fantastic. That's a big difference, though, between someone. You know, making mm. something up. Yes. On the spot, uh, depending on what someone else is doing. And 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 to my ears, the end result is. It's quite different, you know. Yeah. What are future projects or ideas or collaborations for you? Ah, yes. Um, Anything on the horizon? There's a few things on my uh, that I'm currently producing because I do sort of mixing and producing of my stuff. And okay. Stuff stuff. So the currently the new Remote Viewers album's being recorded. Okay. Um, 
which uh, again involves John Edwards, Caroline Crabble, Sue Lynch, Dave Petz and myself. Mark Sanders to do drumming on the album, oh, so he's, he's, which sounds great. There's like 10 tracks, which I'm just involved okay. in mixing and making. And will that be on a label or...? Um... It's available on the Remote Viewers website. Okay. That's right, yeah, which is where all the other albums are available, remote, theremoteviewers.com. I'm also recorded, uh, we're halfway through recording an album with Jazz Tarly. Right. And is that going to be available through your website? Possibly going to be on Kukuru, but I'm not sure. Tassos has his own label called Kukuru Recordings. We haven't talked about what we're going to do with it yet, so I don't know. That, okay. that was just a possibility. Get so you've got two those two projects coming out recording-wise, and what about gigs, anything? Because I, I, I do a lot of different projects. So yeah. uh, just started a new quartet with, with Daniel, John and Steve. So it's Daniel Thompson, John yeah. Edwards, and Steve, Steve Noble. Noble. Oh yeah. wow! Which um, well, so I started. We yeah. we did a gig. Oh, that's right. And you'll probably play yeah. the horse. The horse. I've got a few projects. In fact, I was chatting last night to Terry Day. Right. We're going to do a trio. Oh, um, fantastic! Me, Terry, and, and a bass player. I haven't decided yet, but yeah. So um, yeah, because I'm liking Terry's drumming at the moment. It's sounding good. So. He's sounding fantastic. Yeah, he's got a lot of energy. And but, that'll be at Cafe Eclectic. Yeah, okay, the Cafe Eclectic. And also, you um, play in Berlin. Yes, yeah, well. so I'll be going back out to Berlin soon. And last time I went was with Adam and Sue, and we were playing. Adam Berman and Sue, Lynch. yeah. So we'll right. be. Um, I think we. I think Adam's coming again. I think there's a plan to go in August. Well, we are going in August. And um, the other thing that I should mention, yes. of course, who phoned me today, is Anna Homler, who I work with. Ah, you, uh, I, that's in LA because she's right. that's where she's based. Okay. And there's a label over there that's that's doing it. Um, Minaru, an album called Minaru. Minaru with, with Anne Homler. Yeah, and Dave Tucker is in fact on that album. Okay. Um, and and, and uh, that's kind of like been sitting there for a while, but Anna seems quite keen to get it out. So I've got lots of little things like that that are bu- bubbling under. Yeah, I mean, that's just on the top Feeding of my head. Feeding the improvised and experimental um, and various other music scenes. Yes. In London and Europe. Indeed. Well. Yes, uh, yes. Fantastic. I'd like to thank you, Adrian okay. Northover. We'll probably say something else as soon as we finish, but um, thanks so much, Adrian. Thank you, Hutch.